So, who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? And what comes next based on your answer? Is there action on your part based on how you respond to that question? Who do you say he is? Luke chapter 9. If you'll turn there, please, I'll give you a second. We're going to be beginning in verse 18 today. Just after having fed the 5,000 in that really cool story, or more, probably closer to 20,000 with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread, we move to the next thing that takes place according to the gospel narrative. Luke 9, beginning in verse 18 in the NIV translation. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You're the Christ of God. And Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Great, great verses there, straight from Jesus' mouth. We're going to dig into each one of them. But before we go further in Luke, I want you to turn with me now to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Go back to the book of Matthew, first gospel. And as you know, most stories about Jesus are repeated in at least one other gospel, if not all four. We're going to look at what Matthew had to say about this. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's the key on this one. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. There's a key. There's the key. Through the Holy Spirit. By Father God, this truth was revealed to Peter. That truth. That's going to be key as we continue looking. Go back now to Luke. And in verse 18, we see that the crowds say that Jesus is something that He's not. We know He's not Elijah. We know He's not just a prophet from long ago. He asks them, who do the crowds say I am? Let me ask you this. The crowds then didn't know who Jesus was. Do they today? 
by their actions, because that's how we know, by our actions, by their actions, we know who they say Jesus is. Do they today? Do we? Look at verse 23, because this is, the, this is the verse I think a lot of us get hung up on. We want to be good followers, and then we get to this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow him. We get into this trouble of trying to identify what our cross is that we're supposed to take up. What is our cross? Sometimes we start comparing or looking uh, around at others, and their cross looks like more of a burden than my cross is, or maybe they, we think my cross is more of a burden. They sure have it easy by comparison. Maybe that's not where we should be. And just what does it mean to deny myself? When he says to deny ourselves, what does that mean exactly? Does it mean going without? And by what standard is going without? I have to drive used cars instead of new, or is it I have to, I have to buy generic instead of the brand what what is the standard by which we do that do we still continue to try to do that comparing to others there's a great reference in a different way in a different translation as Jesus answers this in the message translation i want you to hear what verse 23 says this may hit us more clearly he answers what that question is what is your cross what does it mean to deny myself here's Then he told them that what they could expect for themselves is this. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. To deny myself means to follow Jesus leading and to sacrifice or give up my way of walking. John MacArthur says... That self-denial is a willingness to obey His commands and serve one another and suffer, perhaps even die for His sake. So there's the answer to what does that self-looking for self-denial and taking up your cross mean. Go further with me in the message. He says, don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? That's the message translation of the same passage. Now Matthew Henry, the commentator from the 18th century, says, We often meet with crosses in the way of duty. And though we must not pull them upon our own heads, yet when they are laid for us, we must take them up and carry them after Christ. He's saying, don't go looking for things that you can identify as being what you'll say is your cross to bear. Don't we, we like to say, oh, this is my cross to bear. You know, or a troubled child or a, a difficult job or you got a, a, a family member that drives you insane. No, no. Not necessarily are those your crosses to bear. These crosses are going to occur naturally and they're going to fall in your path as you follow Jesus. The crosses you're supposed to take up. In fact, look at this. The sacrifices that you need to make will become apparent as you follow Jesus. And those will be different for everybody. Because for one person is not really anything to have to bear. 
is something very difficult for someone else. We must be careful as we begin to compare ourselves with each other in this walk. Now I want you to notice, as soon as Peter answers the question that's on the table, who do you say I am? Jesus reveals some deeper consequences that go with that. Look at verse 22 in Luke 9. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is right after Peter says, Here's who you are. I say you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, If that's really who I am to you, then be aware this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be completely rejected. I'm going to be killed. The implication is, are you sure you want to declare this, that I am this Messiah to you? Because it carries a lot of weight to declare that, and it ain't going to be easy. Jesus is saying that to Peter and to the rest of the disciples. Be ready, because this is what I'm going to have to go through. And as we know, identifying ourselves with him may include the same for us. Look now at verse 24. Jesus says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it, or for my sake, in some translations. Now that phrase, aside from the command that he gives to follow me, that saying is repeated more times in the Gospels than any other saying of Christ. So it might be important for us to take note of the most common things that Jesus said. Number one, follow me. Number two, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In other words, giving up what you want for what he wants. You will actually lead that, you will, it will actually lead you to a better existence than you could have ever hoped for or gained by your own effort. There's the self-denial, there's the sacrifice. Now, again, 24, Jesus is saying whoever wants to get life needs to give up his life. So, you know, in our human frailty, you got to see real, what's really cool is in the very next verse, he basically answers what you know you were thinking. Wait a minute, there's a whole lot of life. There's a whole lot of things I would have to give up. I'm not real sure about that. And so Jesus kind of pounces on that in verse 25. Look at it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? It's like, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm telling you to lose your life. And you're thinking, that's a whole lot of stuff I'm fixing to have to give up. And he says, well, wait a minute. He knows what they're thinking and he answers it. He speaks to us as well right there. To your, your very true self, the real you, is only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. It's not found in all the things you would have to give up. For his sake. And then have a look at verse 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Look at that closely. What does Jesus say? Ashamed of me and my words. It's who I am and what I have to say. These things are inseparable. Not just who he is, but what he also has to say. Now, let's think about that for a minute. When I was growing up, and I'm only 44, so some of you got some years on me. So I know you experienced this. A man's word was pretty much all he, you could really trust. 
Okay? And it should still be that way, however, it's not. One of the highest compliments that could be paid to a man or a woman was that they were a person of their word. You could take it to the bank. Okay? I think that that came out of the integrity that Jesus modeled. If he said something, there was no question it would be taken care of. Barring on our parts any unforeseen things that we couldn't control, it should still be said of us. If you say you're going to do or be or take care of something, you do it. That should be the way we should be. It's who you are and what you say. And what you say is part of who you are. That's the way it was with Jesus and right here. He says it. If you're ashamed of me and my words. To be ashamed of something means you don't want others to know that you identify with that thing. To be ashamed of someone or something means maybe you're just dabbling in it or you're just a little interested or you're just a little curious. But when the thing becomes seen or known about to other folks, you deny it and you rid yourself of it or you disassociate with it. That's what it means to be ashamed. Following Jesus isn't supposed to be a secret. We're not supposed to be ashamed of Him. And indeed, the the more we dig, we may agree with many theologians who connect that those who actually are ashamed of Jesus are probably not even believers. If they want to hide it, if they want to keep it a secret, they might not really be in the family of God. Because He's clear that He'll deny knowing us if we deny knowing Him. He says it very clearly. Jesus doesn't mince words. But we have an entire generation of people, an entire society of people that their faith is a private thing. I do this a lot. My air quotes, I'm sorry. doesn't translate in the recording very well. That my faith is a private thing. Celebrities do this a lot. You'll see that, right? Because they don't want to offend anybody. They are Christians, maybe. They follow Jesus. They believe the truth about Him. But my faith is a private thing. And yours should be too. Let's not force it on each other. That's what people say. It's supposed to be personal or quiet. Let me ask you, is it really following Jesus if that's what you say about your faith with Him? It doesn't mean we've got to stand on the street corner with the sandwich board on telling everybody they're going to hell if they don't listen to us and beating them over the head. But there is a way that it should be shared. Unashamed. Now let's not be confused lest the enemy wants to twist this. This isn't works-based salvation. Jesus is saying that declaring who He is means we must follow Him. Yes, but that will be evidence of true salvation, not something that earns the salvation for you. Following Him is evidence of the true salvation. But it doesn't earn it for you. It comes as a result of what the Holy Spirit does inside of us. And at the end of verse 26, we see... If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is saying that when his full glory is revealed at the second coming, if you haven't followed him, he's not going to identify with you as one of his. And y'all, that is serious business for those who once prayed a prayer and walked an aisle, went to church camp as a kid, got baptized, gave a tithe or regularly gives a tithe, shows up on Senior Sunday or on Easter or on Christmas or Mother's Day and occasionally just does the things that they know that they ought to be doing, 
If they think they're saved, they may not be. And let me tell you, it's not our place to judge those outside the body of Christ. But inside the body of Christ, in your circle of influence, in the people that you're responsible for, wherever that concentric circle may go out, that's where we need to be concerned. Because you will be known by what? Your fruit. So this could be the most important question that a person ever asks themselves. Who do you say I am? Who do you say he is? So I challenge you today because I challenge myself. By your actions, are you answering like the crowds answered? Is he just a prophet? Was he just a good guy? Just a baby in a manger? Much of the world calls him just a fictional character from some story that people like to put their faith in. They're all crazy. And then a lot of the world says, well, he was a good man. He lived a long time ago and he helped poor people and did some miracles, you know, they say. And they call him a good example who did some good things. But the Son of God, God himself in bodily form, let's not take it to extremes. But, you know, I've got a private faith. Let's just kind of leave that over there. You believe what you want to believe and I'll... You'll only follow a pretty good guy so far. You'll only go with somebody who, you know, that was a pretty cool magic trick. Let's go this far with it. But, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to follow, sacrifice, give up everything I got. The long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, the only one who deserves your complete thanks and affection for paying the penalty that you deserve for the sins that you commit. We have to hope that that's how you answer, who do you say he is? And when that is who we declare him to be and we really mean it, then we're ready to follow. It's not just who you are, it's your words that go with it. So by asking this question, Jesus gave Peter and the disciples the chance to testify, to apply the truth of who he is to their lives. By asking the question. Nothing that Jesus did and nothing that God does is just, oh, let's see what they let's see how that goes. It's intentional. Peter, who, who's everybody else say I am? Who do you say I am? And by asking it, it demands an answer. It demands an answer. And the answer will lead to a path of action. What comes next? Based on our answer, what comes next? What course of action does your answer lead to? What course of action does the answer that you give to that question lead to? Because he's asking the same question of us today. And as I said before, he does not mince words. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? It's either a denial that you'll give or a conviction and a testimony and an identity that you are part of your answer. So how we apply this, we want to pray and we want to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the sacrifices that we need to make to follow him. They're going to be different for everybody. Remember in the Matthew passage, Blessed are you, Peter, because this has been revealed to you by my Father through the Holy Spirit, the implication. So we, 
have been revealed as well. This has been revealed to us by God the Father, through the Holy Spirit in us. If we answer that question the way that I hope we do, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Savior, your Savior. So if we answer as Peter did, then those subsequent actions that accompany that response should be a life of following Him. And if we haven't answered that way, then our actions are going to testify to that. Please know that it's different for every person. Please don't get caught up in comparing. And please know that it continues to change the older we get. doesn't matter what age you were when you received that truth. But it'll be different the older you get in the seasons of life that you go through. It grows and changes. It's called progressive sanctification. Once saved, but you're going to have this ongoing change as you follow. And submit. So is he the pretty good guy? The man from history who just did some miracles? Or is he the Messiah? The Savior? And by your answer, are you showing it? He's the only one that was ever worthy of being followed. 